How's everybody doing tonight? Did you have a good Sunday? Valentine's Day? Okay, good, amen. It was really smoggy out there, and I'm hoping we get a breeze that kind of blows it, blows it out. Um, couldn't see anything out there except, except the white haze. But I got out with the boys today. If you were here last night, we talked a lot about family time, and um, the kids had the opportunity to hold the, the parents accountable by filling out, having the parents sign a card that they were going to spend an hour uh, with them. So I spent three hours with my boys today, <laughs> kicking the soccer ball back and forth. It was a good time. We, uh, we really had a, had a good time. It was a blast. I know they appreciated that. Hi, girls. Well, why don't we go ahead and open up with a word of prayer and just thank the Lord that, that we are alive. I want to thank the Lord for his mercy and uh, just for his ability to, to uh, keep love burning within the heart. And then we're going to be, as soon as I'm done praying, we'll be blessed with Isaac. Kim, he's going to play a piece for us on the violin. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the opportunity to come together tonight. Uh, Lord, I want to pray for Bob and Margaret. What a story they have to share. Uh, and I pray that, Lord, we, we really need like three hours to do something like this, but that's not practical. So help us just to cover the most important aspects in the time that we have together. And most importantly, may, may uh, what you want to be heard, what you want to be stressed uh, and emphasized, may that truly be the case tonight, that Jesus might be glorified. And bless Isaac, Lord. Thank you so much for his willingness to serve through music. Uh, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I guess it was uh, about two and a half, three months ago, maybe a couple months ago, uh, where uh, I was uh, standing at the door shaking hands as the, the members were leaving, and uh, this lovely couple came up and shook my hand and um, expressed how they appreciated this church and, and what you had experienced so far as, as regarding the, the warmth and the, the friendship of people and, and the messages that you had heard. And, um, and then we, we sat down together at Potluck uh, for quite some time. I remember one, one Potluck Sabbath, and uh, I was so richly blessed. And uh, you both expressed to me, you said, uh, we really like this church, and, and we're going to continue to come here. Amen. And uh, that was a blessing for myself as a pastor to hear. Uh, not so much because it's an addition to the church, but because I was realizing so early on um, how rich your story is. And that's what we want to look at tonight. Uh, so why don't, why don't you introduce yourself, Margaret, uh, and tell us a little bit of uh, what you've done most of your life, and then I'll have you do the same, Bob, and then we'll talk about how you came together. Uh, so go ahead, please, Margaret, share a little bit. Well, I was Margaret Moran. My father was the uh, head chaplain at the Loma University Medical uh, Hospital and Sanitarium. There, from the time I was born, well, he first taught at the academy, and then he was the chaplain at the hospital for m most of my life, and then was a city councilman there. So I grew up in Loma Linda with an Adventist minister parent. And my grandfather, uh, my mother's father, actually wrote the Bible doctrines textbook that was used in colleges for many, many years, up until maybe the 30s or something, 1930 or something, before that. What, what have you done with most of your life? Um, well, I actually started taking piano lessons at six years old, and by the time I was 16, I was giving concerts and teaching other teaching students older than I was. Um, I gave 
my teacher had me go to give whole chapel programs like at Glendale and Linwood Academy down there in Southern California, and even at the, for the, uh, the me medical students and nurses and things, I gave concerts there, and I gave concerts at several other colleges around the country, around the United States. Amen. By the way, um, that gives you a little glimpse of her musical background. Uh, Margaret expressed to me a moment ago, she said, if you ever need someone to do special music or, or fill in on the piano, and not that I'm looking for any glory, but I'm available. So if you happen to see in the bulletin there's no special music, I give you permission as church members uh, to, to ask Margaret, say, would you mind filling in with a special music today? Uh, so she's so happy to hear that. Thank you. Actually, my husband is also a musician. He, uh, we, for many years, were musicians with an evangelist. Elder J.J. Miette, who in New Jersey and then in Georgia Cumberland Conference, we played uh, and sang, both of us play and sing, and uh, we, we were the musicians with an evangelist and evangelistic team for a number of years, quite a few years, until our children were in school and then we had to not travel anymore, but we lived out of suitcases much of the time before that. <laughs> Um, from what I understand, you had a little connection with the General Conference at one point, early yes, on in your life. Yes, before I was married, I worked as a secretary at the General Conference. I was Elder George Vandeman's secretary and Elder Ben Glancer, who was editor of the Ministry Magazine. And I used to do a lot of the uh, editing of the materials that were sent in to be in the Ministry Magazine. I, I did a lot of that because I was very interested in that type of thing. Amen. Um, on our ride over here, you also shared a little bit that while George uh, Vandeman was sick, uh, you did a lot yes, of... Yes, George Vandeman was sick in the hospital, then I would go even to the hospital and take notes in shorthand and type them up for him when he was... because he was doing work even in other countries, too, that he would send me tapes that I would transcribe. Amen, amen. Uh, so you have secretary background, um, tremendous music background, uh, I also know that you love the outdoors. Uh, is there a component of your life that involved being outside? Yes, I did volunteer trail patrol for the United States Forest Service um, when from, from the time I w was 54 years old until I was 65. Wow, amen. And so I was very amen. often out on the trail alone at night and I knew all the trails in the San Gorgonio Mountains, which is in Southern California. I was very often camped out there alone at night. She won't tell you this, but she was uh, uh, involved in uh, uh, a contest for beauty queen. <laughs> she is beautiful, inside and out. Amen. She won't tell you that, but that's my estimation. Praise the Lord for husbands that share the little details <laughs> like that. How precious. Um, Bob, what were you doing? What have you been doing most of your life? Uh, what has your career been defined? Well, I was a little, little boy in a country town of Healdsburg. How many heard of Healdsburg? Well, a few of you. It's along the Russian River in... Uh, Central, I guess it's Northern California, uh, above Frisco. And uh, my father was a country doctor, and uh, he wasn't uh, very communicative, and so my mother 
took over the uh, leadership in the, in the home, and uh, I remember that my grandmother always lived with us and always henpecked my father and uh, ran the roost. And so I became passive like my dad and uh, took me a long time to come out of my shell. I didn't marry till I was 27. And I uh, was sorry I got married that early. <laughs> but you'll hear about the rest later. So leading up to that beautiful wedding day, uh, where did you guys meet? When did that love first take that flame? <laughs> where, did, where did your love first take, take spark? My first date? Your first, the love, when did, when did you two connect for the first time? Now, where was it? What were you doing? Well, the first time wasn't so great because uh, I was sick to my stomach and uh, was visiting up at PUC and we were supposed to sing in the Collegians, I was, and uh, I wasn't interested in, in this blonde down a couple of seats down the table there. And, uh, but when I first recognized who she was, was at a reunion at, at La Sierra College, a reunion of uh, the Collegians, which was a specialty choral group that I loved to, to sing in. I was one of the pioneer members of the Collegians. And uh, it was a choral group like uh, Fred Waring chorus was. Uh, 12 men and six women. I think it was. <laughs> Some small number like that, and, but it sounded like a huge 100-voice choir because we sang eight parts, not just four parts, eight parts. <laughs> and uh, of course, Roy Ringwald was the uh, the uh, arranger for the uh, uh, Fred Waring group, and so uh, Hamilton George was it Professor Hamilton uh, at La Sierra was uh, really taken with this arranging bit, and uh, he really did with a lot with that small choir. We uh, visited almost all of the uh, church schools and academy and colleges all up and down California, and it was great fun. We especially liked to stop at Yosemite at <laughs> a great time. So, Bob, when so did music was a part of our lives, but all of our lives. I didn't know him then. I was, um, he was through school, and it was at a reunion. At, I went my last year to La Sierra College. Yeah. I went my earlier years to Pacific Union She College. was a renegade. But I went my last year, after I stayed out of school a couple years, and I worked back at the General Conference as a secretary. 
I went to school to La Sierra, and that's where I met him at the Collegian reunion. The Collegians was this singing group that they had every year, and I was in it when I was there at school, and he had been in it, and it was at one of the reunions that we met. Hmm. That's beautiful. Bob, what were you studying? What had you finished studying? Uh, I graduated from La Sierra College in 1951 with a religion major. Uh, they don't have that class anymore. <laughs> but uh, I think they did it just for me because I never could learn Greek. <laughs> so you were studying to but be But I pastor. took the other religion classes and learned to be a uh, Bible teacher uh, in case I'd never got a church. But uh, it turned out that I uh, made a further surrender to the Lord after a little bit of wandering. And uh, they gave me a church finally, and I was ordained in... Oh, 12 years after I started my ministry. Took me a while. But uh, I was never a good student. I was a C student, sometimes D. I finally passed. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But uh, music was wonderful for me. I, I, I was never... Uh, bored, and I was amazed that I could get paid for singing and playing. I had played the uh, alto saxophone for years and uh, took it along with me in, in the uh, evangelistic meetings, and uh, we had great fun playing for each other and singing with each other and my playing the horn and my playing the organ and, and keyboard and so forth. We had a great time. Amen. So clearly you guys had, had music. It was a very common bond yeah. for you both. Um, when you guys got to the altar, were you in love with each other? Very much. Okay. And uh, my background of Preachers was uh, the, my mother's side of the family. Um, there was Elmer Adams. Uh, I can't remember the other uncles that I had. Um, but uh, on the Baldwin side, we had uh, Wilson Baldwin, the educational secretary. I think it was of the Northern California Conference. Uh, he was in Southern, too. He was a great fellow. He uh, knew his stuff, and uh, he was kind enough to sign up for me when I was a rebellious uh, vigil, uh, village student. I had to have somebody sign for me that I'd behave myself, but I didn't do that. <laughs> I got in a lot of trouble, but um, that'll have to be for another time, I'll tell you. 
That's, thank you for sharing that. And uh, obviously, this, you know, when you shared your testimony with me, I realized that it's so multifaceted that, that really there's an opportunity for women's ministry discussion. There's opportunity for men's group, uh, men's ministry discussion. Uh, you both have just so much to share. Let's really deal tonight with, with the marriage. Uh, you guys were married for 39 years. Why don't we start a little bit with um, what communication was like? You already said you were in love when you went to the altar. Nobody forced you. Um, this was voluntary, and uh, you very much wanted to be married, and you got married. Uh, what, was, what, were you, what was your communication like in marriage, uh, him being a minister, you being heavily involved in music? Um, share a little bit about that. Well, there wasn't any problem with me talking when I first met her. I was uh, giddy <laughs> and talkative. She uh, felt she couldn't get a word in edgewise. Uh, when we first met. And, and I remember when I got that way, I was sitting in their living room in Loma Linda, and uh, my uh, father-in-law, future father-in-law, was uh, amazed at how much I talked. But somehow through marriage and my background being uh, in a home with two dominant, domineering women that did all the talking and all the commanding. My father was very passive and uh, seldom there. Uh, in spite of that, I loved to, to play and sing and be in front, but uh, to convey and communicate feeling was uh, very discomfortable, uncomfortable. And so I, through marriage, began to hate it more and more until, well, about 20 years in the marriage, I was uh, so bad that uh, I told Margaret I didn't like to be intimate. Don't ask me how I feel. I don't know how I feel. I don't want to want to know. So I'd zip my lip and uh, take a walk. Hmm. Bob and Margaret. You know, problems come into every marriage. It's just the nature of, number one, learning how to live with each other and learning how to love each other in the right way, but also the pressures from outside uh, always create opportunities for there to be tension. Um, how did you deal with tension in the marriage, problems as they came? Um, Margaret, did you feel like when there was a, an issue that had to be dealt with, um, what was that like uh, from your perspective? Well, I always had grown up talking about problems. My father was a very excellent listener, and he always drew us out, all of the, my sister and my brother and I, and we always learned to talk over things. And so I tried to talk over with my husband, but my husband would say that he didn't want to talk, and I was not to talk, and I was absolutely, he, I remember one time he stomped the floor and slammed the door and left the house, didn't come back for a couple hours because he said I was never, ever 
to ask him to, to try to talk about any kind of a problem. Hmm. Sweep it under the rug. He, he used that, that term, sweep it under the rug. That was the way he had always done, and he was going to always do it that way. Right. Um, this, this experience you had in your marriage was, was so, um, it went so deep emotionally uh, that you've actually written a book that hasn't been published, uh, and you shared with me the other day, it's over 300 and something pages long. Uh, is that correct, or was it 500 and something? The public uh, really didn't know what went on in our home. Mm -hmm. Many of our just uh, casual acquaintances thought it was a perfect marriage, and mm -hmm. uh, since we were both musical and together a lot, so uh, we had some of the people fooled, but uh, there was no doubt about it. I was a poor communicator. Mm -hmm. Margaret? And according to uh, modern uh, psychology, most men are that way. Did you know that? <laughs> you, you men are wired that way. <laughs> and uh, you don't deal with feelings very well at all. Hmm. And uh, the women are wired to be yakety-yak. <laughs> and... Uh, share everything, <laughs> especially their feelings. So one of the secrets of getting along is to glory in the differences. Even some psychologists and psychiatrists have gone, gone the wrong road, treated as a problem. But it's not a problem. God created you with differences. Hmm. Glory in it. So, and you'll get along. So at this point in the marriage, there was no glorying in the differences, though. Uh, this was very painful for Margaret. Margaret, how, how painful was it? And, and where did this lead you? To what place did this lead you in your own mind, in your own experience? my own pain grew and grew and grew until when my sons were preschool, but about school age, about ready to start school, I actually decided that I was going to kill myself. And I had the date actually set to drive off a cliff where I knew that cars had driven off a cliff and nobody lived. It was in a, a road from Flagstaff, Arizona, down to Sedona, a narrow road, and there was no wall on the side of it, and I knew that there was a place. And I had actually set the date to commit suicide. Hmm. So um, being a man and being among other men, uh, I think oftentimes we don't understand the, the depth of pain that a woman can be going through when, when they're not heard. Uh, when they feel they can't talk, or when they feel the problems can't be um, worked through, and, and perhaps if you want to use the term dissected until we, we find a resolution. So what you're saying is it was so bad, and you felt, did you feel alone? Did you have friends? How about, maybe that's a question, did you feel like you had any support, or, or was your life defined by the marriage alone? Well, my sister didn't live near, anywhere near us, and 
my brother and I had never been close, and he was far away, and my parents were not near us, and so therefore I had nobody, and I didn't believe that as a minister's wife I should be talking about my problems to anybody else. So I became very, very depressed, and there was months, actually, that I wanted to commit suicide. Mm. And I, in my mind, I was, much of the day I was figuring, trying to figure out how I was going to do it, because I had two children, mm -hmm. preschool age still, but, but I, I was trying to figure out how to, how to do it, how I was going to do this, mm. and imagining what it would be like for the children. And so I finally had decided that I would drive off a cliff and take them with me. Okay. That was, um, that was a very painful part in, in the story that you shared. Um, and of course, that's kind of almost a separate story in itself, why you had even gotten to the place of, of um, contemplating that. Um, Bob, were you, were you a, a, um, an involved father? Were you a disengaged father? From your own perspective, how, what was your relationship like with the kids, and, and why would Margaret even consider doing something like that? I tried to be a good father. I, I knew that I could build model airplanes and I taught them both how to cement uh, the ribs in a, a wing of an airplane and how to fly it. And uh, we got a motorized uh, thing going and uh, helped them do that, play ball. But most of the time, I was an absentee father, sad to say. Earlier on, when the children were littler, like up, up until school age, he had told me he never wanted, he didn't tell me this before we married, but after we were married, he told me he had never wanted children, and he didn't want our children, and he told me, when they were probably two and four years old, that he didn't love the children at all. And this is one of the reasons that I was wanting to commit suicide. It was No I, excuse, but I heard this from uh, not preachers, but uh, psychologists and people in the know. Well, when you have children, it usually drives you apart from your wife. I didn't like that, so hmm. I didn't get along with the crying child all night long. And uh, sometimes I'd get angry about it, but it didn't do me any good. I would put, say something here that I had not even mentioned to you. Our oldest son was born, he had a brain injury at birth, and he had cerebral palsy not horribly severe, and he actually grew out of it, or the Lord performed a miracle. He gradually got better. I gave, gave him exercises three times a day from the time it, he was probably three months old, or five months old, about five months old, because I realized that there was something wrong. And I exercised him and did special things that I developed myself until he was school age. And he didn't talk until he was about five years old. He's a very great genius. He's a computer expert now. Mm. But, but it, it was very difficult childhood for him. And uh, 
there, it was very difficult raising the children because of his difficulty. And then the other one was also had prob physical problems, actually a heart murmur from rheumatic fever and, and was, he was not supposed to run or do anything like that for a while. And now he has dystonia. He's an excellent horn player. Uh, played in the New England Youth Ensemble. He was an outstanding French horn player, did all the Mozart concertos and performed publicly, but he got something called dystonia and he cannot play the French horn anymore. He cannot use, do it at all because there's a, something from between the brain and the muscles that... It's like that, cutting out a person's and he, he's a, he is the orchestra director at the um, Hillcrest, Hillcrest mm -hmm. Church. And he is a very, very fine musician, has a master's in French horn. But he can't play the French horn anymore, but he teaches it. Still, he has usually some students over at the university here, here and he teaches he's French He's never horn. married, probably never will unless the girl asks him. We live with him. He lives with us. So, um, how many years into your marriage was this, where you were at the place of, of wanting to commit suicide? Um, you were married for 39. What, what year are we looking at, roughly, um, when, when this whole, you're in, in this mindset? Um, 10 years into the marriage, 20? 20, uh, year, 20 years, probably. About 20 years, okay, so 22. for 20, okay. When, so, when, when, we, oh. when, I was about, when I was suicidal. Oh, yeah. About 20 years. Okay. So we could say that for 20 years, you two had kind of been going through the motions, putting on a, an appearance in front of the, the church eye that everything was fine. Um, but un underneath the surface, uh, it really wasn't just Margaret, but you were in a lot of turmoil yourself, Bob. Um, frustrated. You don't want to deal with your feelings. Uh, you're frustrated with, with the kids. Um, and, you know, you have your own ministry. And you know you feel like that's almost an infringement upon that because that requires time, and uh, there's a big, huge disconnect between the two of you. Um, there's nothing really is being talked about, um, you know, at the heart level. Uh, it's just more or less just kind of keep plastering the outside and keep the, the fresh paint on so that everybody is is satisfied with what they see on, on the outside. But inside, there's all kinds of turmoil. The suicide. Tell tell us what deterred you from driving off that cliff, uh, if you would, Margaret. Uh, I've understood you were going to That's school. It's a miracle in itself. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to Arizona State University, and there was a, a, a man who was going to class with me, and I, I didn't really know him. I had never been introduced, and I wasn't really attracted to him particularly, but I, I think we spoke or something two or three times as we were coming in and out of classes. But I was sitting in the car and I was actually had planned my suicide date and I had planned how I was going to do it. And this man walked out of college and was walking towards the car and, and I got in the car and closed the door and he said, he called, he yelled at me. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute, I want to talk to you. And I still believe that it was God that had put something into his heart because he came up to me and he said, 
I think you need to talk to somebody right now. I think that you need to talk right now to somebody because I was already at that moment still planning my suicide and had the date set for it. And he said, I'm going to stand here and talk. And so it was very cold and I saw him starting to shiver outside of the car. So I said, come around and sit in the front of the car. And I rolled up the windows so he wouldn't be so cold because he was shaking so hard. And, he, and I finally told him all about my marriage and all the problems and it happened to be his wife was a social worker so I suppose he had heard about this but he just said I'm not going to get out of this car until you promise me you will not go through with this and hmm. and it was probably two or three hours that he sat in the car and talked with me hmm. and persuaded me that I, he says, your husband's sitting on a gold mine and doesn't know it. He said, I will not get out of his car until you promise me not to commit suicide. Wow. Was that, I mean, obviously that was the Lord's intervention. Uh, was that, did that effectively derail your plan um, to go through with suicide? I'm sorry. Did, did that effectively derail your plan to go through with suicide? Yes. Okay. So yes. Praise, praise God. The Lord, yes. the Lord really saw the, the critical level of what was going on. But, but we still have about 17 more years before you guys got divorced. So in a, in a, in a, in a nutshell, what happened for the next 17 years? Because no more suicide planning. Um, what, did you decide something in your mind of how to deal with Bob for the next, I mean, you didn't plan 17 years, but did you decide, okay, from now on, I'm gonna be a certain way in the marriage so we can survive? Uh, what, what was it? Um, did you just shut down and become very independent? Uh, how, did you, how did you make it another 17 years? Well, one of the things that I did, I started doing, I, I was always very physically active, and I loved to hike. And so I started doing volunteer trail patrol for the United States Forest Service, and I was in the mountains a great deal in forest uniform uh, by myself and I would, I would be working at least two weekends a month, sometimes from Thursday through Sunday, was in the mountains by myself or sometimes partnered with another, another man or woman who worked for the Forest Service and we would patrol the trails and see that people were camped to the right places all over the, mm. the, the what they call Gorgonial Wilderness down there in Southern California, the mountains over they're um, pretty high mountains down there. Yeah. And um, I, I did that a whole lot. I just lived out of doors and went hiking very often by myself. Okay. She's run off bears and uh, took care of seven Iranian men who were, had uh, some wicked uh, things in mind. And uh, she's... Uh, been like a master sergeant, meeting uh, rebellious youth on the trail and saying, you have to turn around and go home. Hmm. You don't have a permit. Wow. She could be tough. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Margaret, could we safely say that, that being out in the wilderness um, for you was an experience of freedom that you weren't finding in the marriage. You didn't feel free to share your feelings in the marriage, so being out in the outdoors away from home, was that what helped compensate, perhaps? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. My outdoor experiences. I mean, I've 
I was on the top of Gorgonu. That's 11,502 feet high. I've been up there at midnight, hiking alone. We've been with, uh, what, what's her name? Uh, Loma Linda, uh, the 90-year-old? Oh, Hulda Crooks. She Hulda Crooks. Yes, yeah, she used to hike. How many know she, her? She hiked Whitney yeah. 22 famous, times. Famous she, person. She was at the top of Whitney when she was 93 years old. <laughs> and I, we met her there. I climbed Whitney about 12 times, Mount wow. Whitney, which is the highest mountain in the continent of the United States. Hmm. So. Hmm. That's wonderful. Let's, um, let's fast forward a little bit to, to the point where, where everything just fell apart. Um, you had mentioned, well, Bob, you had mentioned that you just wanted to sweep things under the rug. I believe it got to the point, we're at year 39 now, Margaret. Um, we're at the point where you've had enough. You, you can't take bottling things up anymore, sweeping them under, she under the rug. She kicked me out working. of the bedroom and said, I don't, I don't know you, Bob. You're I'm sleeping not going to have a stranger in my bedroom. Right. So, so you're not even I sleeping left. in the same bed, husband and wife. Um, Margaret, I believe you went to Bob at some point and said, enough, we have to deal with some things. What was Bob's response? Ten, he, she gave you 10, right, 10... Demands. Right, she gave you 10, in her mind, requirements. In your mind, it was demands, demands, correct? Yeah, <laughs> right. And I mentioned that because that, that was kind of your mindset. You didn't want to deal with stuff. So you were interpreting everything through that whole fear of dealing with feelings, that whole um, perspective of no, we're, we just let's forget about it and it'll go away. So for you when, you, when you read that, it was, or when she said that, it was ultimatums, demands. This is the way it's gonna be. Um, did it work? Well, I was happy about it at first, and uh, I didn't have any uh, uh, trouble getting women to follow me along, and uh, it was known at the hospital that uh, I was uh, very attracted to certain nurses and so forth. I never uh, went to bed with them, but uh, I uh, was comforted in some way. Um, he was chaplain company. at a convalescent hospital that was owned by the conference, and so he was the advent, he was he was the chaplain and the social worker at the Adventist convalescent hospital down in, in Azusa, in Southern California. So that he was no longer now a, a pastor anymore, but he had had for quite a few years been this uh, been a a convalescent hospital chaplain. So, Bob, how did, how did you react to Margaret? Um, was this the beginning of many more years, or was this the end of 39? Well, I was wish-washy. I had my times that I wish I were back in a good relationship with Margaret. But uh, mostly I was... I felt free to be my own person. Hmm. I felt that uh, every remark that Margaret made to point out a mistake or something that was wrong with my sermon, it was uh, done in 
mean criticism. But I finally learned after I was 70 or 80 <laughs> that there's a difference between being a loving, concerned wife and in love pointing out things that would improve your personality, improve your work. Amen. But I always took it wrong. Hmm. And uh, so I wanted less and less close uh, communication with her. And uh, I even had trouble telling other females the way I felt. It just was foreign to me. Hmm. I had to learn to love. We actually got divorced. Yeah. And we were both After 39 engaged. years. We, we, we were divorced and we both became engaged to marry other people. And his, he was going to be marrying his, the girl he was engaged to on my birthday. Not purposely, but... But that was the date they had said. <laughs> that wasn't pleasant news that you received. I remember you sharing. Um, he announced his, engage, his, his wedding date. Well, that was on your I, I was going with... But we were divorced, and I was going with this other gentleman, and he had a, a house trailer that he had bought and was, had the house trailer parked in... in Executive. In our in our backyard. He was, my husband was living at a, we were separated, we were divorced, and, and he was living at a, an apartment in some miles away from me. And so he, one day he came and came knocking on this, I was out in the, in the house trailer talking to this new, new man that we were considering getting married at that time. We were not engaged at that time, but he was considering marrying me. And um, my ex-husband came to the door and knocked, and he said, oh, I have some good news I want to tell you. And he announced to me in front of this other man that he was getting married. And the, the date had been set. And the date that they had set was my birthday. The thing that bothered her was that I said I was happier than I had ever been in my life. Mm. That really tore her apart. So Margaret, um, this man that you were involved with, he was, he was willing to get, he wanted to get married. You quite weren't 100% on board with that, but uh, because you had shared with him um, that, that you really still loved Bob. Yes, and so he decided that he decided that since I really had never stopped loving Bob, he decided that he couldn't marry me, and so then he broke up with me. So now okay. I had my ex-husband didn't want anything to do with me, and then the new man that I was engaged to broke up with me because he realized that I still loved my first husband, mm. and he got out of the picture, so I was doubly devastated. Right. Bob obviously never made it to the altar. What, what, de what derailed that? Um, I believe there was a special day where you invited Bob over to the house. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that day? That was something I, I love to tell because it's such a dramatic miracle. It never have happened otherwise. Uh, I was uh, 
I was, I was packed to the gill. I, I filled a trailer full of furniture and, and my things, and I was on my way to PUC to marry this gal. And uh, there was a little thing of money that was a thorn in the flesh. She could, Margaret couldn't get a, a loan big enough to put a down payment on another house, which uh, the other woman needed. I knew she needed. And uh, that was a big thing. So uh, I finally, after getting together in a meeting at our house, worked it out so that uh, we could talk and communicate about these problems, I finally admitted that I still love, Mar love Margaret, and uh, which I did. I just had to be honest with myself. I never stopped loving her. But anyway, when she asked me to come to the house, I had already planned to visit her before I left for PUC. So I said, sure. I'll, and she said, come for lunch. I have it already. There was a miracle right there. She didn't know what I was doing, but uh, she knew what I liked to eat. <laughs> but before I could eat, she said, sit down. I have something to tell you. She says, I've been wrong. Margaret, wrong? She was never wrong. And I knew she wasn't wrong now. But it took all the wind out of my sails. You can't argue with a person that says they're wrong. What do you argue, argue about? Immediately, the Holy Spirit told me, I want you to go back to Margaret. And I said, yes. I'll cut my relationship with the lady at PUC tonight before I go to bed. He was engaged to her and had the date already set for their marriage. And he told me that that day. And he uh, would break up that night. With it her. took me weeks to get on an even keel, but we went through a lot of uh, counseling, group therapy. counseling, and uh, counseling and therapy group, private counseling, and read good books together. That's one thing that really helped us to communicate. We would read a paragraph out of the book like "Care of the Soul." and discuss it for a half or an hour or an hour. And you, you can't get away from it. And one of our exercises by 
Ed Bryan would say, you, you sit knee to knee with Margaret and look her in the, straight in the eye for five minutes. I dare you. I'm going to apologize, but I'm going to need to make a trip to a restroom, and I'm going to be back in a minute. <laughs> uh, Alvy, could I have you lead Margaret to the, to the restroom? Wow, I could do all the talking. You can talk as much as you want now, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I'd love to tell about what happened to us after that. It's one miracle after another. Well, you can't share it all because Margaret has to be a part of that. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's uh, strange how that men are wired to, to uh, do lots of things, but, uh, well, they're wired to be a warrior. A fighting warrior is what you're meant to be. To rescue the damsel from the castle with the evil person involved. And uh, they're wired to have all of the right words, right the tip of their tongue, and they love to talk. And uh, especially talk about their feelings, make men uncomfortable, and uh, bless their hearts. You know, they can teach you a lot about love. Mm -hmm. You and I don't know love yet. Servant of the Lord says that the angels of heaven don't know a thing about love. They don't understand how God could give his life for you or for me. Another thing we can learn from the ladies is to be a servant of all. I was always thinking of looking at Abraham, especially in the Old Testament. It says Abraham commanded his household after him. Well, men, it doesn't work that way. Marriage is supposed to be teamwork. Mm -hmm. And you can't do it all. That's right. It's a miracle of grace when it takes a man and a woman who are wired differently and their feelings are different Backgrounds are different. A lot of problems already starting when you get, say, I do. And then it's honeydew. <laughs> honeydew this and honeydew that. <laughs> Bob, could I, could I ask you to share something? Um, I know we'll need more time to unpack it, maybe at a men's ministry, but this may be beneficial for, for the ladies in the room, um, the wives. 
you shared with me at one, at one point that you, well, first you've told us that, that you hated the idea of intimacy. You didn't like to talk about your feelings. You didn't want to deal with your feelings at all. Yeah. Uh, and I remember at one time you shared with me that you had a very low self-esteem, a l low self-image. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize Margaret was back, but... That's no excuse, but mm -hmm. it's common among men to, uh, to let the... Uh, dominant female when she gets to going talking and, and just uh, uh, admire her for her talent. Mm -hmm. She knows how to speak and uh, she makes one, a wonderful mom to the children even though she talks baby talk she knows how to communicate. Man, you can take, take good lessons. Mm. Bar Margaret, could I ask you a question real quick? Did you know, and we'll get back to, to this critical point um, where he was about to get engaged in the conversation in the house, and then how you, how, that, how you guys were able to repair the distance between you. Um, did you know during the, the first 39 years that, that he was struggling with, with low self-image? Were you aware of that, or was that kind of, did he keep that a mystery? Yes, yes, I was aware of it actually very soon, after, actually somewhat before we married. Mm -hmm. and, and yet I was so proud of him, and I thought he was such a wonderful man, and I, and I worked hard to build him up. Mm. In to talk, tell him and compliment him, and and I wanted him to gain uh, much more confidence. I I really worked it hard to do that to help him to help him grow in that respect. Yeah, I think that's an important. Suffice to say that when we're dealing with issues within a, within a marriage, um, we need help as a as two people who are need to be who are who are one flesh. But we also need help individually. We need individual healing. Um, because, because it may be that with all the, the uh, accolades in the world, all the trying to build him up, um, he struggling with his low self-esteem, there, there's really nothing you could have done to, to actually heal him uh, except through, through him getting very special, um, specific help in that area of his life where the Holy Spirit can heal him from the inside out. And likewise, yourself. Um, and this is, I feel this is important in marriage because um, sometimes one spouse is giving everything and nothing seems to be working. Uh, and it relieves a little bit of the burden sometimes to realize that, that the spouse who, who is struggling with something um, needs more. They really need outside professional help, which can only really be effective through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it, it's important to realize that in marriage that, that um, sometimes we feel like we're failing in helping the other person, when it's really not so much that. It's just that we need very specific individual help, and we need help collectively. So let's deal with the collective help, okay? Um, you're at the house, she made the meal, it's in the oven, you can't eat it yet. Um, she brought you into the living room, and, and she, she, Margaret, you didn't tell us tonight, but you expressed to me, you told Bob um, something along the lines of, I can't live without you, I wanna be with you no matter what it takes. Am I right? That's right. That's right. I said I. I that I, was the key to. I want you back, back and right. and I 
I, I was not going to, there are no demands. I want you back, no matter what. Very important. You, and you told him that there are no demands. Yes. And that, I believe, Bob, was what took the wind out of your sails, correct? Yes. Oh, my. <laughs> I said, I think I did. me. I think that I did say, we need some counseling. Mm. If we have problems, we need to go for counseling. But it would be both of us. Okay. So we took all we could get. <laughs> yeah. So you struggled for a few weeks, and we don't want to spend much time on that. You did struggle for a few weeks, Bob, wondering, did I do the right thing? Um, but ultimately, you got group counseling, which, was, which you sh told me was so critical to have that group support. Um, tell us a little bit about the group counseling, Bob, and then I'd like you to share a little bit about your individual moments together trying to heal uh, the relationship. Tell us a little bit about the group counseling. Why was that so critical for you? Well, uh, personal counseling, private counseling is good, but uh, when you have a group of say 10 to 12 people in the class, uh, it means so much more because when there's a question, well, what, how did I come across? Well, I, I, I did this and I did that. And uh, the uh, leader of the group, he might be a chaplain, he might be a psychologist, psychiatrist or just a friend. He'll say, okay, Bob, you go around and ask every person in this room, how did I come across? Hmm. Well, after 12 people said that you came across wrong, you're gonna believe it, right? Hmm. <laughs> How can you do otherwise? And so group counseling, with me at least, uh, was far better than private counseling. We both went to a therapy group and it was led by Edward G. Bryan. Bryan. He was, had been the chaplain for a long time at the Glendale Adventist Medical Center. And then he was pastoring down in, uh, another town in Southern California. By He's the way, our, our uh, conference president around that time and uh, other uh, ministers would uh, publicly say, you know, don't, don't go to these psychiatrists and psychologists to lead you astray. If you can't find the, the, the answer to your problems in the Bible, then what are you going to do when a psychologist tells you it's your religion that's causing all your problems? Mm -hmm. That's what some psychologists have done. So I was scared to go to a counselor mm. at first. Mm. You mentioned. Thank God I got over that. <laughs> thank God, yeah, praise the Lord you got over that. <laughs> that's very true. The Lord really uses people who, who have specialties in specific fields of, like psychology. Um, Christians who can, who can um, utilize psychology through the lens of the Bible uh, and really address specific things through, through the Holy Spirit's leading. Bob, you'd mentioned reading. You'd read a, you read a lot together. Um, yes. Maybe you both could share a little bit about um, what the reading was like. Did one person read and the other just kind of listen, or was it you take turns? Was there dialogue? 
uh, we'd take turns and uh, sometimes we'd read only a, a paragraph mm -hmm. and discuss it thoroughly and um, really get a lot from it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it got me over my shyness and uh, my dislike of, of intimacy. And once I allowed my feelings to surface and uh, talked about them, that's when the dam broke. I had never realized until then how much terrible turmoil and pain I caused Margaret for years. Never knew it. Never felt it. But since then, it's even hard to talk about. We, we had a cabin that we had to hike four miles to get to. We had it for many years. And we would go to our cabin and, and we would talk there. And I remember how he finally, at the cabin where he made this breakthrough, and I saw him weep, weep, sob, just horribly sob, because it suddenly, it suddenly dawned on him. It was almost like God just showed him a miracle. Mm of what he had done and how it had hurt me. And he, he was very sorry and very willing to confess and to ask forgiveness and all the rest. And it, it just was that, that dam broke and it was, it was yeah. all Before we end this, I, I, I want to get my two cents in about <laughs> another thing that I learned late in life and uh, John Eldridge, who's written many books about the love of God, uh, he said that uh, until we get to a place where our life is limited by our old age and we forget things, we, we haven't learned the lesson of humility. Hmm. Our dear Savior says of him, he made himself of no reputation. Hmm. He emptied himself. The first step toward loving truly loving is to be humble. Amen. Amen. One definition of love is preferring the other person. You put that person first and not last. Amen. Amen. You put yourself last or else you're not loving. That's right. You're just putting on a front. 
In Hollywood, they call it lust. That brings me to a, a saying that we used to hear, at least I heard it quite a bit. The grass is always greener in the neighbor's yard. <laughs> Why? Because it's fake. <laughs> it's always green. Fooled you. <laughs> but it's spelled L-U-S-T. It's not love. <laughs> and so, I have a lot to say, but I told him, be a good interviewer and stop <laughs> us when we need to stop. No, you needed to say that. We appreciate you saying that. I want to um, have tell us just briefly about that little exercise you mentioned to me where you, you knee to knee, and yeah. then after you're done sharing about that, I want Margaret to share what her prayer life was like during this whole period oh, of marriage. Yes, and, and what your prayer was like, Bob, prayer life was like, because this is week of prayer. We need to see We're how. <laughs> yeah, well, you can share that in a minute. Tell us a little bit about that little exercise, the knee-to-knee. -knee. Oh, yeah. One of the exercises that Ed Bryan told us to do, oh, he was good at giving us exercises. Uh, he said, you get Margaret and knee-to-knee. And you look straight in her eyes, never looking away for five minutes without saying a word. And then you tell her what you felt that she was thinking. If you're really in love, you can pretty well come to a knowledge of what your spouse is thinking. That's powerful. Women are better at, at it than men. Of course. But I've, I've come to the place where I can pretty well tell what Margaret is thinking. Amen. And I've learned to speak looking at the person directly. I used to look to the floor or at the bouquet or something else and it's been a bad habit but now I look people in the face and I am beginning to love amen amen thank you Bob Margaret tell us what your prayer life was like um, the whole marriage you know, did, did you have a very weak prayer life? Um, tell us a little bit about your prayer life. I believe in prayer. And I actually, at the time that we got back together again, I had fasted for a week. When I say fasted, I allowed myself, I think about three or four crackers and a, maybe a, a, like a, a half an apple or something was all I ate. I did eat some about every other day, but I went for a week of fasting 
and special prayer. I was in prayer much, much of the time. Mm. And um, finally, after I had been praying for and fasting for a week, then I went to my girlfriend's church. At the time, it was the Alhambra Church. And I felt impressed to take my tape recorder along. And it, and I didn't even know what I was going to, why I did it, but I was, I was wanting to record what I was feeling because I thought someday I may want to write a book. And what I was really doing all the time I was driving, this 20, 25 minutes, was I was praying out loud as I was, as I was driving. And I recorded that, and I have that. I have that prayer recorded still that I prayed, and I feel like that was a real turning point in my life. Um, I used to have, well, I still have a stack of cards about this high, three by five cards that I wrote my, I would be reading my Bible, and I would come across a text, and underline it, and then I would copy it on a card, and I, I don't remember if I brought it tonight, but I have a stack of three by five cards, probably about that thick, that were precious cards to me, and I used to even carry them in the car when I was so emotionally distraught, and I would even come to a stoplight, and I would grab a card and read it, or remind myself of what, and I would just go through these cards, even at stoplights, just to keep my mind focused on the Lord and know that I could talk to him and he would hear my prayers. Amen. Amen. So you've been a woman of prayer most of your life, only that, that particular period of your life was when you really uh, recognized the, uh, absolutely. the impact of prayer. I felt the power of her prayer life. Mm. Why was that, Bob? Did you have a strong prayer life yourself? or Not very. I had my devotions most every morning, but not very long. Mm. And uh, I asked the Lord for signs and, and didn't pay attention to the sign not being uh, fulfilled <laughs> in the positive. And uh, mostly I, I would make my plans and then ask God to uh, bless it. Mm. And it didn't work. <laughs> mm. No, if it weren't for Margaret's prayer life, I wouldn't be here. Amen. Amen. You got remarried. When did you both realize that you wanted to recommit, um, go back to the altar and, and exchange vows again? That day in, it was 1990, around 1992. I think we... we... 90, we, we were separated for two, from about approximately two years. We lived apart, and we both were engaged to other people, and we were apart two years. But then when we decided to come back together, I told him I would not marry him. We had to have at least one year. It had to be a year before I would remarry him. Oh, that him. upset me. She was supposed to take me back like that, <laughs> like I was ready to take her back. I knew that we but, had to figure out how to solve our problems it was good. and talk and communicate good. before I could marry him again. Yeah. Bob, I think you would agree that, that had she done that 
you know, the, re the repair of the damage within yourself um, from childhood, from not listening to the Lord really as, as we ought to, yeah. as we all struggle to do, um, probably would not have ended up the same way. Um, it, it wouldn't have taken the same direction that it did. Uh, yeah, it would have been maybe a lot more struggle. We joined the uh, conferences on prayer and took some special classes down in San Diego from uh, non-Adventist Christians that were, I can't even remember their names now, but uh, they gave wonderful classes on listening prayer, praying together. Amen. Families that pray together stay together. Amen. If you really mean it. It's a good way. And a good way, too, is to never forget birthdays, never forget what we call our month anniversary, the 22nd of every month. We do something special. We got remarried on December 22nd. Well, we never forget. You, you we got keep remarried. The fire's burning. That's what it takes. <laughs> It doesn't just, just come to you on a silver platter. Men, you've got to work at it. So we do something special on December 22 every year. Uh, just, we celebrate this month anniversary, or this like anniversary. Every, every year we do something special. It may be going out to eat, it may be sitting reading old love letters or something like that, whatever it might be, but we plan something special every year. That's beautiful. Oh, and I haven't repeated my favorite text on that. Business of reconciliation in Second uh, Corinthians five. Yeah. Second Corinthians five, verse eighteen says. He has now given us a ministry of reconciliation and the privilege of inviting others to become his friends. It was through Christ that God reconciled the world to himself by not holding our sins against us, but continuing, <coughs> pardon me, but committing us, to us, this message of reconciliation. We are now God's ambassadors. So we spread to you the word on his behalf, asking you to receive God's offer of reconciliation. Margaret and I have surrendered and dedicated our lives from now on to be ambassadors of reconciliation. And you that are having problems in your marriage, you call us on the phone any time of day or night. Amen. We're there for you. Amen. Actually, we, we developed a plan from, from a book that we studied very carefully yeah, we and outlined. We, we had, oh. we actually taught classes for couples for some years 
um, that it was a um, one book class. I think there was 12 classes once a week for I think for 12 classes, a series of 12 classes once a week. I think it was about three months. We would have five five couples come to our house, and we would work teach them. We'd have a class about two hour class, and we would do this weekly for until we finished this course studying this particular book that we one had of the outlined. best uh, books we used was Boundaries in Marriage. That's a good book. And we had it all outlined, and we we taught gives this a balanced class. view of uh, the marriage situation. You can't always be in charge, men. You need to give in to the woman. After all, the Lord says these Christian wives are our sanctification. Mm. Boy, you, you better watch out. You may not be saved in heaven if you don't listen to your wife. <laughs> you miss a blessing. Amen. Margaret? <clears throat> Excuse me. You've been married for 24 years since you got remarried, and I like the way you, you put it in, in your um, in the in the, the writing, the little bit of that the book that you shared with me. Uh, you don't really call it a period of divorce; you call it a, a vacation. Yes, but actually, yeah. we were married 39 years, yeah. and then we had a two-year vacation, yeah. and now we've been married. Um, December 22, this last December 22, we've been married 63 years now, since we first got married Amen. in now, 1953. Now, I know Bob would say that, that he has learned to be intimate, okay? But I want to hear from you, from your perspective, in the last 24 years, have you seen, um, have you seen that in Bob's life? Is he a different person? He will, if he will come to me if he has a problem mm. and ask me to hear him out as well as if I have something and I will say we need to talk and we will sit down and he will listen very respectfully and we, will, we are able to sit and talk and discuss anything, any, any kind of problems now and we both have learned how to listen and respond let the other person say what they need to say and then, and then think about it and, and respond. So we, do, we don't have those problems anymore. Amen. Praise the Lord. One uh, out you men have is when you don't see any way that you can agree with your wife, you can say, uh, thanks, dear, for the information. I'll give it some thought. <laughs> I'll try that. That's fair, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, I was going to ask you, and I forgot my train of thought for a second there. Oh, so, so you both are enjoying a, a whole new uh, level of intimacy that you never had, you never had before. Yes. Um, Margaret, I would like you, Bob, you shared. Well, let me start with Bob real quick. Um, Bob, you've, Bob, you've given a lot of pointers to the men tonight, right? You, you've, you've given the men a lot of pointers tonight yeah. and put us over the flame a little bit. Uh, and I think that's good because um, we, we, we need to realize that, that we can often act like concrete bricks and, you know, we're unresponsive and we don't know how to communicate and we're cold and we don't have any feelings. We know um, how to shout louder. We know how to shout louder, right. <laughs> and we certainly know how to bottle things up. Margaret? 
Um, you know, I go back to, that, to, the, to the way you approached Bob right before he was about to marry that other woman. Um, you, you told Bob, I want to live, actually you said that you were wrong. You used the term you were wrong. And I don't want to go back to that period, but I want to go back to that important principle. Um, because I know that as men, sometimes we feel like, we feel like um, the finger's always pointing at us. When the wife approaches us with a problem, we feel oftentimes like, like she's coming at us with the finger pointing, and we interpret that often as, here I am, I'm wrong again. And I mean that from experience. I, I say, I feel like that sometimes with my own wife, um, that I'm never right, and I know I'm never right. But, <laughs> but, but it, made such a, it made such a big difference for Bob, when he's about to go to the altar with another woman, would you be able to share maybe a, 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 a little pointer for the wives that may help the husbands, may disarm the husbands, um, a way that they could perhaps approach the man, which, which may help. Not to say that we're right. <laughs> we know that you're still right. But how could, how could wives approach the husbands in a way that would disarm us? We have a niece, my husband's brother's daughter, actually adopted daughter, uh, that came to me at one point. She was so upset that we were divorced and she wanted so much for us to get back together. And she said to me one day, she says, Margaret, what you need to do, and I think God sent her to me. She says, put on your white pantsuit. And then you, she says, you take mud and smear it on your knees and, and go to him and say, I have crawled all the way over here on my knees to you because I want you back no matter what. Huh. And of course, I did not do that because I felt that wasn't honest and, and, and I I'm not gonna lie that I've cried all, crawled all the way <laughs> on my knees, but I did, I did realize the importance of saying, I have been wrong hmm. and I want to do what is necessary to do. I want you back no matter what. Modern psych then of course then he then that opened the way that he wanted to know he was willing then to, for us to talk about whatever our problems were and we definitely got more counseling we went to therapy group for quite a lot of uh weeks or perhaps months i'm not sure we were actually going to therapy groups probably for like he says about a couple months Couple, couple years, maybe one, maybe once a week or once every two weeks or something like that. I don't remember just exactly how much it was. These days, I hear some good things once in a while uh, come from psychologists and and uh, TV shows and <laughs> Dr. Phil and the rest. This idea that. Husbands and wives should never feel that they're always wrong or that they're always right. Mm. In every case, marriage counselors tell us there's two sides. And so, ladies, you can truthfully say there are times when I've been wrong. 
And it's one of the greatest ways to kill an argument you ever saw. Uh, how are you going to argue with that? You can't. So it never hurt you men to say you're wrong. Sometimes it's the best thing you could say to show how humble you are. Amen. You're not always right. None of us are always right. Mm -hmm. So make that a little note to yourself. <laughs> Amen. So you two have been married for a cumulative of 63 uh, years. 63 years. I guess, years. is it? 63 years. Last December 22. Wow. We, we, when we remarried, we remarried on our anniversary. Hmm. So we, so it's, all, it's always December 22. Amen. And you, you have that month anniversary, which is so special, on the 22nd, right? On the 22nd, on the 22nd of 22nd. each month. We Wonderful. do something special. So that's, that's so important for us to know that, that we, like you said, Bob, we just really need to, to feed and nurture that, <clears throat> that those moments of intimacy so where we can con stay connected with our, with our spouses. Um, you have a favorite Bible verse you wanted to share. Uh, uh, no temptation? There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That Amen. has been my favorite verse most of my life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So even in the darkest hour where, where we are ready to, to turn the switch off, um, God will, will spare us because we've had that prayer life. That yes, connection. I want to mention too, I actually brought it in my person. I have a stack of cards, three by five cards about this high with Bible verses on one side and, the, and the, then the text where it's found in the Bible on the other side. And I've carried that with me so much. I have stopped at stoplights and taken a card and read it when I have been so desperately upset about things, both in our marriage, uh, I, would, I would read a verse at a stoplight every chance I would get, even when I was in the car, and I would carry these. They're very precious to me still. I get them out. I haven't memorized them all, but they're very familiar to me. And I still keep this card, this stack of cards with a rubber band. Every so often I have to put a new rubber band because it wears out and breaks. Mm -hmm. But I have that stack of cards. I may have brought it with me in my purse tonight. I can't remember if I did or not. But uh, that, that's very precious to me, this, this many Bible verses that, that are, I just, I live with those verses. Amen. And every so often I'll add another one to that because those, that's my, my comfort and my joy and my encouragement. Amen. I would like to do something tonight. Um, would you mind if I shared uh, with the congregation um, the new challenge in your life that you're facing? Um, That's all right, yes. Okay. So, so Margaret has been recently diagnosed with um, Alzheimer's. So this is going to be a, a very, um, a new journey in, in a marriage of 63 years, which you've already experienced so much, gone through the valleys, the mountains, been on the mountaintops. I forget too, and so yeah. we work together and remind each other right. of the pill taking. Right. So there, there are some days that I, I don't, re even I go to look at the calendar, some days that I still have a hard time figuring out which day of the week it is, perhaps, mm -hmm. or which day of the month, and so I will ask him. Right. 
So you're trying to finish this book, uh, which I believe is so, can benefit so many people, and you know that, that the Lord wants to use your story. It's, it's quite bless. long. It's quite long. It's about 580 pages, the odd, double, double or triple spaced on. And, and I haven't done anything with it before. When we moved up to here from Southern California, it really stopped me, and I haven't gotten back to it. But I had actually had contacted several different publishing companies about it, and I had not had anyone for sure that I was going to have published it, that we were just going to pay to have it published. But I, I think it will have to be in two volumes mm -hmm. because of the length. If somebody has a few thousand dollars at they don't know what to do with. Uh, we want to get <laughs> our book published. <laughs> Amen. Uh, these days, uh, email is the way to go. Yes, yes. So could I, could I ask, um, this is week of prayer, and we want to pray for the families and the marriages, which are beneath the surface going through a lot of things. But I think it'd be really nice if, if those who are gathered here tonight, if we could gather around you both and, and pray for the Alzheimer's, for this journey, for God to give you strength, um, for God to uh, allow the both of you to accomplish whatever he has for you um, regarding the book and regarding your testimony and still helping people. You've been such a tremendous blessing to us, I believe, tonight. Is that true? Amen. I, I know that um, the minute you started sharing your story with me in, in the potluck line, I said, you know, we really need to share this with others. We live so. in the Silver Creek area, southwest of here, and, uh, oh, I'm sorry. We live in the Silver Creek area, uh, just off of Harris, and uh, so we'd like to see any of you and all of you okay. <laughs> at our place sometime. Uh, we don't get out very often. We just barely make it to church. We can't even make it on time to Sabbath school. Our son, who lives with us and takes care of us, he has a totally different schedule, and so he sleeps all, all day long, and uh, we have to be on our own. He, he works nights. So uh, it's hard for us to go anywhere. But one of these days, we'll have somebody who lives near, near to us uh, be our chauffeur and see that we I'm, get to church I'm not, anyway. I'm not <laughs> going to be driving anymore because I have, I, I'm not, I don't think I would be a safe driver now. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to pray for you. So could I invite everybody to come up here? We want to surround the both of you. You just stay comfortable in your seat. Um, stay right where you are. I'm going to move this chair out of the way. And we are just going to, to um, I, would, I would suggest we have popcorn prayer, okay? Um, that's basically, we'll just take maybe, maybe, maybe 10 prayers. We'll have 10 prayers. They don't have to be very long. You know, Sister White says, get straight to the point, pray for what we want. And um, so we're going to follow that, that, um, that guidance. And then I'll have a closing prayer. Uh, but please, let's, let's, let's emphasize prayer for Margaret and Bob in this journey that they're going through. Uh, and then, of course, lift up our, our families as well. Okay, so, so 10 or so, and, and then um, when there's a little bit of a pause, then I'll, I'll just go ahead and finish.
Father, we come before you on behalf of this couple. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony they have shared. Thank you for the struggles they've gone through. Because it is through the struggles that we are refined, that we become stronger. Thank you for revealing to them your plan of the two of them being together. For opening up the communication. For allowing Bob to be able to finally share his feelings to discuss them openly and to glorify you as they both have done Amen. throughout this. Because 60 plus year marriages, you have to work at those. They don't just happen. Amen. We thank you, Jesus, for all these things. We now ask that you would step in and place your hand of healing upon this lovely lady. Lord, she struggles with something that attempts to take away her memory. You know what's going on. Lord, let it be according to thy will. And let your hand of healing be upon her and your blessing upon both of them and their family. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, we fall down and lay our hands at the feet of Jesus. The testimony that we hear of Bob and Margaret Hyde is the testimony of Jesus. It is the worth of his life being worked out into their own hearts. So we praise you for what you have done, and thank you for the beautiful testimony. While it is giving its fragrance to all of us as we listen to your story, and we do ask your anointing upon them tonight, that you will bless them in the remainder of their journey, that the sweetness that is coming through the story right now will just continue to grow, open up a door for their story to be made public, that funds will come, or however you choose to put this out before others, Lord, that the Ministry of Reconciliation can affect other hearts, and that you will raise up other ministers as well. Thank you, Lord, for this time tonight. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of their, thank you, Lord, for the blessing of their son and being so strong. And that their joy may be full for as long as very possible. And that everything keep working as the well the well machine that it can be. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Merciful Father, we thank you so much that these two wonderful people have decided to come and share their heart with us. 
We praise you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit does not leave us, and we heard that tonight. Amen. Merciful Father, Matthew 14, 14 talks about how you, Jesus, came, saw the people, and were compassion, filled with compassion. Mm. And Lord, then it says that you healed them. So Father, as a group, we again join that you will bless dear Margaret and give her your, um, the power will rest upon her, that the miracles they've seen in their past, they will see it again, Lord. Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me like the both of them are willing to let your will be done in their lives. They wanna glorify you. We just pray and unite our hearts together that their hearts will be encouraged greatly and that tonight it's recorded in the books of heaven that this group came and pressed together mm -hmm. to pray for dear Margaret and her dear husband and their dear sons. Bless their entire family, we mm -hmm. pray, with an abundance of your joy and, and peace and love. Father, pour out over them your holiness and your purity and just keep them, Lord, in thy way. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dear Father, I want to thank you because you're a God of grace. Mm -hmm. You are our strength. And you're so faithful. I want to thank you because you behold each heart. And you know our captivity. I thank you, Lord, that you set this couple free. To love, to love you, and to love each other. I would like to ask you to bless Barbara, Lord. She has been so strong in your strength. And now when she becomes weaker, just like my mother, you raise my father, the weak link, to become strong for her. Mm. Bless this man. Amen. That as a husband, he may cherish his wife. Mm. When the memory is present or when the memory is gone. And keep his mind always remembering that though she forgets, he will never forget who she is. Mm. I pray for them, and I pray that you make us a caring family. You have sent them to us. You have spoken tonight through them. Help us to love them and to visit them. They have asked for that tonight. Mm -hmm. In our busyness, in our sorrows, in our struggles, Help us to reach out to them as they reached out to us tonight. And I pray not only for them, Lord, 
I pray for every woman here. Make us women of faith, women of prayer. Humble us. Break us, mold us, fashion us, but do not allow our heart to become hardened. And if it has become hardened, cause us to return and to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And I pray, Lord, that you bless every man here. Husbands and children, and doesn't matter the age, bless every man. Because you didn't wire us different. You wired us all to love like Jesus loves. So, Lord, bless every Every boy, every youth, every grown man to come to you, to have restored the wirings so you can flow freely and be men like Jesus in, in their homes. And I thank you for that. We certainly have um, a tremendous resource here uh, in Bob and Margaret, so uh, I know that they've offered a listening ear, so if you ever want to somehow connect with them, um, you can go through, through me, uh, and I can communicate with Bob and Margaret and maybe set up a time. Um, so we'll work that out. Like, we have taught classes for a couple. We've had classes that run for a 12-week period for as many as uh, five or six couples. <laughs> Amen. I, I hope that I would be capable to do that. I think we could. We, we haven't done it for a long time, but we did, we did teach classes quite a bit down in November. Amen. Well, thank you so much. Um, let me just have a closing prayer for safe travels. I need to bring Bob and Margaret home, and the hour is getting a little late, uh, but it was certainly worth it. Thank you, Bob and Margaret, for sharing. Lord, please be with us as we head to our separate ways. Uh, guide, guard, and protect us. See us safely on the road. Uh, put a safeguard around our hearts, Lord, and please allow our hearts to soften so that we can be open with each other, Lord. As we have heard this story tonight, uh, may we not forget the power of prayer and the power of your spirit uh, that works the mighty miracles it does. So please be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.